0: Seasons change. Why not your tech? Upgrade now during the Dell Technology Sale event and save on select PCs like the XPS-16 powered by Intel Core processors. You'll be able to bring your most intensive projects to life with a built-in AI, minimalistic design, immersive visuals, and cinematic audio. When you shop online at dell.com forward slash deals, you'll have access to the exceptional tech and electronics, plus free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at dell.com forward slash deals that's dell.com forward slash deals this is the ed mileage show okay everybody welcome back to the show so my guest today i thought i had never met before and then we just started to talk off camera and it turns out like I know her family really, really well, and we've been in the same place for like 11 or 12 years off and on, and we recognize each other's faces, and so we actually have a connection we didn't even know that we had, and I'm grateful for it because as I was reading her work, I have to tell you, I felt so connected to her. Um, So many similarities in just the things I think we both have wrestled with and struggled with in our lives, and so her work really deeply affected me, which is why I wanted her to come on the show, and so she has a book out, it's called Joy Hunter. Messy face plants, radical love, and the journey that changed everything. And it is a killer story. You're going to love this story, (laughs) guys. This is a very accomplished woman. She's spoken, you know, been invited to speak at the White House, West Point, Nike, Harvard, Stanford. She somehow got on season, I think, 16 of Survivor. She's been a mega, mega achiever all of her life. And that's kind of part of the deal that we're going to talk about today. So cannot wait to open this up today with you. So Alexis Jones, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. I love I love that we put it together that we that we've basically been circling each other for a decade. This it's is
0: wonderful. So, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to find that out right before we started because I did feel connected to you when I read your work. So, you are, I guess what I would say for everybody just to set the context because the book is so interesting. But you're like kind of like a mega overachiever type. Is that fair to say because I would describe myself oh, that way as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, like seeking gold stars anywhere and everywhere. That's that was definitely, yeah, the the like insatiably ambitious. I always said that growing up in like high school and college, grad school, that like drugs were never my, never my vice ambition was. And um, so I think that that has always been something, that external validation, and it just never, ever quenching my appetite.
0: Okay. I think like millions of people right now went, uh, same here. There's a, I think that's my. I think that's an, in general the people that listen to my work are would fit some description of that. And I want to start what you said in the book because it's it, str- it struck me like like a lightning bolt. But you kind of see. I'll say it my way and then you fix it, okay? But I want you to talk about this because this may be an eye opener for so many people. Just this one thing, which is that essentially you conflated love with attention or acknowledgement. And man, do I relate to that. I think the only time in my life as a child that I felt loved was if I had achieved something. And I think that started to wire me for that pattern. So just let's just start right there in the beginning. Then we'll talk about the journey.
1: Yeah, that was beautifully said. I think that uh, similarly, and again, just different synonyms, I associated external validation for self-worth. And so that that, uh, that performance-based love that I have to go out there and I have to perform and earn it. But not that it was er ever like inherently that I was worthy of that. And to your point, I think as a kid with like two very full time working parents, um, unintentionally, what I found was every time I did something extraordinary, you know, if I was like the star soccer player, I was the lead in the school play, like they would always show up. And I think anyone who grows up in that kind of environment where your parents are, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Um, but they would make time for those extraordinary things. So I think unintentionally, I got the message very early on, the bigger and the batter you are, the more love and attention you get from, you know, the two people you want it from the most. And I think I just exactly what you said, I conflated the concepts and then just became like a, a monster, like a machine that just like kept kept going. Yeah, me too.
0: And I always thought, you know, I'll get around to feeling love myself, like I'll get around to it. And I just never got around to it. I, had, yeah. uh, I have to tell you anecdotally, I had Maria Shriver on the show has become a, just a wonderful friend of mine. And she even said to me that she goes, I still find myself trying to get validation and love from my father who's been passed away for years and years and years that we wow. can even still do it with people that aren't even here. Yeah. And by the way, spoiler alert for later in the interview, you guys in the conversation, something about those two parents will be very, very interesting in a minute because this story is bananas. So let's set the stage for a second about the book and like, where, where all this self-discovery and self-awareness started to kind of come from. So tell them how, how the, the joy hunting sort of began. Let's just lay the premise of the book. I want them to get the book, so we're not going to do everything in it. But yeah. I think the foundation of where this change came from is pretty
1: profound. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was just like everything, like checking all the boxes, you know, like you were saying, like climbing the mountain, um, never having time, like being so over-scheduled, over-exhausted, overworked. Um, but never having time to really sit with, is any of this actually make me happy? Like, (laughs) is this the life I actually want? And so I'm just sitting there climbing up the mountain. And then all of a sudden, in a very short amount of time, everything that could possibly go wrong in my life did. And as you mentioned, it was finding out that my dad was not my biological father on Ancestry.com. It was uh, my very lucrative speaking career, hitting a brick wall with covid It was um, my abruptly going on unemployment because the 150 events that I had for 2020 were canceled within two weeks. Uh, And then my husband and I had been trying to get pregnant for years, had battled infertility for half a decade. We finally got pregnant. We lost the baby. And so it was just like in every direction. It was heartbreak. It was identity crisis. It was the rug being pulled out from underneath me. And I always say that like that was when I hit eject from like the life that I was living, that everything was just crumbling underneath my feet. And I think looking back, that was the the invitation to do the real work that I'd been avoiding and running from my entire life. Like that deep, soulful, exactly what you said of like, yeah, at some point I'm going to get around to learning how to love myself. But until then, I'm going to preach about it on stages and go to Oprah's house and post about it on social media. But I don't know how to actually do that for myself. The
0: background is so crazy, you guys. Like when she says climb the mountain, like she's actually really done that. She's backpacked in like 50 countries. Like you've jammed, I've done it too. But when I read yours, like you've jammed like 60 lifetimes into like half of a lifetime or less, right? And yet what I want everybody to get is I think a lot of this does serve you. Like achievement, external validation, external accumulation is not necessarily, in fact, it's not a bad thing. If it's not yeah. at the expense of the other things, I mean, there should mm-hmm. be an internal driver to want to compete and prove yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, I would, it's interesting. It's kind of odd sometimes when two people that have achieved a lot, then after they achieve it, go, well, it wasn't worth it. And I'm all screwed up. Sure. Yeah. Yet the truth is a lot of those things did serve me. Those lo- those, a lot of those things provided me, frankly, the space and time to have self-reflection sure. the financial resources to do it. But also, the other people around us suffer because you said something about your inability to love other people if you don't what yourself. Well, I want you to finish that sentence, but it's, yeah. it's super valid because I used to say, man, I'm great at giving love to everybody else, but I just don't feel it myself. But when I read what you said there, I went, I wonder if I do love people to the extent that I could because yes. of this limitation of how I feel about me. So let's sure. go there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're nailing it like the symbiotic relationship, like the, the depth and the extent that we are capable of loving other people is directly commensurate with our ability to love ourselves. And so I think I was loving people to the degree, exactly like you said, to the degree that I could, but because there was such a superficiality and a shallowness to the love I had for myself, there was a limit to how much I could love other people. And so there's this irony, that we think it's selfish to like really pour into and love ourselves. But again, like the depth by which we love ourselves, that creates the capacity to which we can love other people.
0: You think you were trying to create, like, I always look, I, sometimes I think I overanalyze stuff, but I tried to provide so much stability in my own life through financial success and achievement. And by the way, I'm very grateful that I did everybody and I highly recommend you all do it. So I'm not telling you that's a bad thing, but in hindsight, My own childhood was so, I guess I'd call unstable, being raised by an alcoholic, my dad kind of just, you know, just that instability. And so I was trying to probably create that, I think, through success and achievement. And then I look at your background, I'm like, grandma's not married nine times, five times Mm -hmm. to the same guy. Yeah. I think, is (laughs) it right that your mom was married
1: five times too? Yeah, my mom was married five times. There were... We thought three dads, three dads between five of us, we would find out it was four dads between five of us. Um, and my mom was working two jobs and going to night school. So, you know, she was putting in 80 hour weeks and as a single mom, yeah, exactly. I mean, the instability, right. Of like Mm -hmm. not having that consistency. And I think that, you know, being able to take that instability. And for me, I just turned it into like jet fuel right? Like the not enoughness that I felt. And, you know, part of my story and I don't know what your story is from, you know, a financial standpoint, but also being like, uh, the poor kid in the rich neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, so like a huge chip on my shoulder Mm -hmm. about like, Oh, I'm going to show you like one of these days, I'm going to be able to afford all the shit that like all of y'all are walking around with. And so that was a huge driving force, but I agree that I don't think it's all bad. I mean, I think that like getting bullied and made fun of for like not having the right shoes and living in shitty houses and things like that, um, it certainly became jet fuel. But I think to your point, and this is a word my dad always uses, is like when your life becomes cattywampus, when like it was so out of balance Mm. that like my desire to achieve and especially financial success was such a huge piece of what drove me, um, came at the expense of my health and well-being. And then, of course, the irony that I was like preaching, right, health and well-being, especially to like major global audiences. And it was like the fraudulency that exists when you know that you're really good at talking the talk, but walking the talk is a whole other thing. So that was kind of the, that was the invitation.
0: Yeah, by the way, and you do talk the talk so well as I'm watching you and listening to you, you're you're one of the great communicators I've had on the show. Like, I can see why your stage speaking is so profound and why you're so sought after. Let's let's cut to kind of the middle of the story a little bit um, and tell them what you did. So because it's kind of radical and by the way, not everybody's gonna be able to afford this. But the reason I want to get the book and the reason I want them to hear the interview particularly is they can benefit from your RV trip right now today. Right. And yeah. now that I know your family, but now that I know that I know your family, meaning I've known <laughs> her family for many, many years, you guys like more than a decade. And I love her family. I love certain people in her family that I know. Now that I know that, it even makes this even more interesting to me that you did it because you could have done a lot of other things. There's places you could have gone and done that were like kind of, I don't know, cool things to go do, but you didn't do that. So tell them what you decided to do and how you even set this up because it's pretty crazy what you did.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like all in that like space of heartbreak and disappointment and like betrayal by God. I mean, I was just like, I was questioning every single thing that I knew and, um, and we had a one of our best friends was also um, experiencing his own heartbreak for his own reasons. And it was kind of like we were three heartbroken amigos. And we we're like, we got to get out of here. It was, you know, May, June in Texas, so it was already 100 degrees. It was COVID and shelter in place, like all these catchphrases that are now you know, we were very familiar with, but at the time we're like, what does that mean? Like shelter in place. And so at the time we um, rented like a celebrity tour bus, like a 38 foot tour bus that like slept nine and had like two full bathrooms just for the three of us. And, um, we hopped on the road and we just said like, let's just go chase. An adventure, which I think that was such oxygen for my soul and had always been. And I think, you know, certainly at the time it wasn't like, oh, we're going to go on this RV trip and it's going to be deeply healing. And then I'm going to write a book about it. I was just like, get me the out of here. Like, that's all I knew. Um, So we end up going on this epic road trip, which, of course, ends up becoming this like beautiful journey of not even self-discovery as much as like self-remembrance. I think that that was, that was the thing that I think we actually have less to learn in our lifetime and more to remember because the little versions of us, the young versions of us um, who enter into the world and know who we are so effortlessly before the world kind of gets its hands on us. Um, and I think it was kind of the great unlearning um, to get back to the little girl who knew exactly who she was um, before I started, you know, checking boxes that I thought impressed other people.
0: You write so, uh, and speak so eloquently, by the way, it, it um, I don't, I, I have to tell you it, I relate so deeply that as I'm interviewing you, I'm kind of like processing some stuff. I was doing it last oh, night. Okay. I, I read, uh, your entire book last night. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was processing a lot of it even this morning and I'm, you, you write such beautiful things that resonate with me. And I have a feeling when people are on the treadmill right now, or driving in their car or getting their coffee ready in the morning. It's happening to them as well. I want to read something that you said, and then I want you to talk about it. And I want everyone to hear this really closely, because something dawned on me when I read it. You said, I remind myself that letting go of others' expectations and opinions of me allows my inner voice to be my truest and best guide. I believe that validating myself is a single most important act in the pursuit of self-love. I choose my community, the people I do life with, intentionally. I love infinitely. I trust discerningly. I forgive quickly. I communicate boundaries early, and I lovingly let go of people who are incapable or unwilling to give as much as they take. That is so beautiful. Once you talk about that, and you know what I realized when I read it? it is letting go of other people's expectations. I'm not even sure in my own life who these other people are anymore, or what it is that I think they expect.
1: Totally. And I Isn't don't even know what
0: these expectations are. It's like I'm making yeah. it up almost. So I've been talking for a long time here on the show about the fact that I've been really working on my Spanish. And I just took a trip to Mexico the last few weeks. I went on a speaking tour down there with John Maxwell. And I got a chance to really see whether or not I've improved. I got to tell you, thanks to Babel, my Spanish is pretty darn good. I was able to order in restaurants, communicate with people, even had a great time at a cigar lounge, chopping it up with a bunch of people speaking Spanish, thanks to Babbel. And one of the reasons I love Babbel is you have to spend hundreds of dollars on some professional tutor and their lessons are only 10 minutes long, crafted by about 200 different language experts. They're very easy to learn and you're going to be making improvements right away. I really recommend you try Babbel. So here's a special limited time deal for our listeners right now. Get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com mylet Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash mylet. Spelled babbel, B A B B E L dot com slash mylet. Rules and restrictions may apply. Please visit babbel.com for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So, you know, I get asked a lot what are some of the common practices or behaviors of the successful people that have been on your show? I got to tell you, most of them have been to therapy. And they've told me therapy's made a big difference in their life, it's made a big difference in my life. And so whether you've got like a real traumatic thing you wanna work through in your life that you've not resolved yet, or maybe just got an emotion you'd like to get rid of or improve, maybe it's none of that. Maybe you just got kind of something you wanna talk through, a problem you wanna work through. If you've been considering doing therapy, I think you should take a look at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is done entirely online. And what I love about it is they match you with a licensed therapist. If you don't click with the therapist, you can switch at any given time to a therapist that meets your needs that you kind of click and vibe with. Take a moment and visit betterhelp.com slash edshow right now to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com edshow.
1: I think sometimes these like self-limiting beliefs that yeah. we allow like the captors, like the captors inside of us mm-hmm. um, to be these like paper tigers right? Just this, like these phantom dragons that exist. And oftentimes some people say, well, like, yeah, I just, I I don't know what they'll think. And I'm like, who are they? Like, who is this, like, who Mm -hmm. is this peanut galley that we have created inside of our minds that heaven forbid we get brave enough to like stand up on the stage in our own lives and like do and say and be all the things that we know that we want in, in, is the truest version of ourselves, like heaven forbid we're like, who the hell is this peanut galley that we've constructed inside of our head? And I actually think it's a really good exercise because mm-hmm. when we really think about it and we start like writing down those names, like that's something I always like challenge people to do. Like, who are they? Is it like the guy from high school, like Kevin Thunderbutt, who I like talk about in the book? Is it that guy? Yeah. You know, because like, by the way, like Facebook, them, like, see what that guy's up to nowadays, you know? <laughs> and, right. um, But I, it it continues to be a spiritual practice of acknowledging and letting go, because I think the idea that like, we're just going to like snap our fingers and like suddenly not give a damn what people think, like it's, it is part of the human condition to care. And I actually think it is a beautiful part of the human condition to care what people think about us and to seek that love and validation. Um, And at the same time, what I've learned now, and I mean, this is a bit from Brene Brown's philosophy, but the idea of like, if you are not in the arena with me, and I literally have a list of like my favorites on my phone, which are about 10 to 15 people. And even when the book came out, it was a really good exercise of like three years of internal work. And I remember when the book came out and I made a point to say, the people who get to have an opinion that matters to me are these 10 to 15 people that are on my favorites on my phone. Everyone else is what it is. And like, I think it's as dangerous to believe the criticism as much as it's dangerous to believe the praise because inevitably from strangers and especially with social media today. Um, so I think that idea, it is a spiritual practice for me every day. And I actually did a post a couple days ago because some dude named Steve from USA um, posted like a super heinous um, thing on Amazon review on Amazon, which was really just like a wild personal attack. And I posted it on social media and basically said like the Stevens of the world are always going to exist. Like the haters are always going to hate. And regardless, like having an emotional buoyancy that exists from like the love and support from the people who are, are in the arena of your life. Those people's opinions get to matter. And I think that I'm not above it. And that's why I'm I'm saying like, for a minute, I like read Steve's review and I was like, what, who is this guy? And then my next thought was like deep breath. So I can respond and not react deep breath. What is, what is my truth? My truth is that Steve is not in the arena with me. It's not even a real person. Let's be real. Like it's definitely not Steve, you know? So at the end of the day, um, I'm wildly imperfect when it comes to that practice, but it is an aspiration for me to continue to let go.
0: I want to talk about that respond react thing in a second. So here's how right you are. And by the way, everyone, you hear the there's some, there's gems inside gems that she gives you. The one thing she said there in the beginning is means you also can't take the accolades and adoration so uh, deeply either. Um, I was at dinner last night with my daughter. And uh, we were talking about this very topic. I get this feeling that th- criticism doesn't bother her quite as much as it does me to this day. I said, Bill, I think that's a superpower. She says, well, Daddy, of course I care. And I said, good, because I still want you to care. And actually, as I was saying it, um, someone bought my dinner. Uh, there was a fan of mine in the restaurant that the server came over and bought my dinner and wrote, wrote me a long letter while they were sitting there, too. Beautiful letter. And she goes, read it. I go, oh, come on. And I read her the letter. And she and I said, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful to know? And I, But I said to her, I said, Bella, the one thing is if you start to buy in too much to how amazing you are, the flip side of that coin is the other one as well. So I'm grateful I've helped this person. They are a beautiful soul for taking the time to write this letter and buy our dinner. But I don't want it to impact. I don't want to live for that. Because now I'm addicted to the same side, other side of the same coin on the criticism. You got to really evaluate this, everybody. Really important thing she said right there. And because if you start chasing all of that, then you're going to feel a whole bunch of more pain when you get the the adversary stuff. What about this respond versus react? You said it in the book. You said, you said, now I have an ability to respond rather than react. What's the difference?
1: To me, it, it's, and again, back to that kind of spiritual practice, it is the sacred pause. And I think for everyone, for me, I realized I had a huge disconnect between my head and my heart. And there was something about my mind always took over and was always thinking, but I was never feeling. And that was like a big shift over kind of that internal work. And what I realized was this idea that for so long, something would happen in my life, right? It would be like a text or an email from someone or someone would say something and I would have this huge, like physical reaction and I could feel it like welling up in my body. And for me, it was like usually my chest and I'd get really big and like all my muscles would flex and I'd be like, who does she think she is? And like my yeah. voice would change. And what I've noticed now is when I get that surge of energy, which almost always it was a big reaction and almost always it was directly tethered to some form of ego, right? Of me defending myself or me feeling like, you know, someone was taking a jab or me feeling threatened or scarcity or whatever it was. And so now, again, very imperfectly, what I notice now is when I have a big reaction that I take a sacred pause, I take a deep breath and I feel into my body and I ask myself, what do you need right now? What's like, what's really going on? And like a tangible example this morning, you know, I have a four and a half month old baby boy, which means like we get no sleep, right? Like deeply sleep deprived, which are like all my interviews, I'm basically doing them drunk because that's the equivalent of being yeah. sleep deprived. And so this morning, a very tangible example, my husband and I wake up and, um, he wakes up and he's like, Oh, by the way, I think I'm going to get my haircut today. And I have a golf tournament. And I, and I kind of had this like big reaction of me being like, you don't get to do all the things that you just want to do, you know? And <laughs> before you know it, it's like tit for tat. And it's like, well, you just had a girl's weekend and you just, and I took a deep breath and I was like, one second, like, put my hand up and I put one hand on my heart. And I said, you know what, this isn't about, we're not, this isn't about your like golf tournament. This isn't about your haircut that what I'm feeling is that I don't have enough time for myself right now. And what I'm hearing you say is that you don't feel like you have enough time for yourself right now. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, so really, like, we're feeling the same thing, like a paradigm of scarcity around our time. Mm. How can we best love each other right now? Because like, this isn't what it's really about. You know, and he was like, and we both like the escalation comes down. And so I think that's the difference is that and and later we went and had breakfast and I was like, by the way, bro, like high five for like look at we, us de-escalating our live lives with like new crushing parents.
0: that fight and burying totally. it totally
1: yeah so i think that like that is i'm a big fan of like give me something tangible give me a tangible example and that was like literally hours ago this morning That's where i beautiful. was like that is the difference in me where i can recognize the difference in a reaction which again is almost always like my feelings projecting yeah. Um like whatever injustice I'm feeling on whatever the situation is instead of taking like radical responsibility for saying give me a moment let me ask what's really going on what need is not being met inside of me right now and how can I honor that and ask for love and support in getting that met. That feels like an entirely different internal dialogue.
0: Yeah. Really good um, the applications everybody when she's saying this too and I forgive me I didn't mean interruption. No, please. I want to say that the applications of that are profound. Something comes up at work today where it's a big bomb dropped on you and it's just a massive challenge and problem. And it's a real one. That pause of what do I need right now that taking that breath that allows you to respond rather than react can make the difference in whether your company stays in business, you stack up of enough of these where you start reacting and not responding and your relationship two years from now is totally different. You know, all of these different things, the, the application of these things, because at this level, everybody that you're all listening to right now, these are the little things that separate and distinguish your life over the life you don't want. These are important things. And it's, it's great work you did when you wrote this. So a lot of it stuck with me. Like, I wrote a lot of it down. Like, I didn't just read the book or highlight. I'm like, I'm writing this because I own stuff when I write it. And there's this experience in Jackson Hole where you run into this fisherman. What a cool trip, by the way. Um, I just did a podcast release today on diversity and variety being richness in life. And that's really what you mm. did. You took a time and you went, I'm going to get some experiences I've never had because I said, your brain doesn't change and you don't change. If you do the same things with the same people over and over again, That t- the chances of changing with the same people in the same patterns and the same activities, very small. But when you change, even if it's not something that costs anything, now you've created an environment. And so you run into this fisherman and You had a conversation about being at a crossroads in your life, and the fisherman says, sure, I spent a lot of my life knowing something needed changing. Often, that something was me. This stranger says this, but I was too scared to actually do anything about it, so I just stayed stuck in the abyss of doing nothing and wasting so much time, he lamented. After some more reflection, I wrote the following passage in my journal. It takes a lot of courage to be who you really are and even more to know what you really want and have the guts to go out there in the world and fight for it. All of that is easier said than done. Have you, from that day, did that change for you? Cause I, I even think as I'm reading it, man, I'm making it sound like I'm better at this stuff than I am. I still am getting around to doing too many damn things in my life. I I still am sitting here right now talking to you. So that was like a watershed moment for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was something that kind of like ricocheted inside of me was Mm -hmm. that idea of like, how much time have I wasted in my life, knowing that change needed to happen. Mm -hmm. But change is terrifying. I mean, I I think it is like one of the scariest things imbued in our humanity is the fear of change and like what is on the other side of that. So for me, it was like kind of the first time that I was like, what does that look like? What does that bravery look like? Because as you mentioned early. I think that I had a definition of bravery that was jumping out of planes, that was hiking the world's biggest mountains, that was swimming with sharks, that was starting companies, that was speaking on big stages, like, again, all these very external things. And I'd found that it was really easy for me to be courageous professionally. And there was so much timidity for me in my personal life. And so one of the bravest things I ever did was the, the following conversation I had with my husband when I said, I think I want to move to Montana, which is so funny when we look at these moments in our life where we can be so brave in some areas of our life and, and so shy and scared and timid in other parts of our life. Mm-hmm. And that felt like to this day is probably the bravest thing I ever fought for mm-hmm. was saying, you know, we have this beautiful life in Austin. We're two hometown kids uh we were building our our dream house at Driftwood which his dad was now overseeing another discovery property in Austin i mean it was like again you know living the dream only i think the bravest thing i ever said was i don't think that's my dream anymore and then what happens reinvention is what happens and that is terrifying because you're not guaranteed anything and oftentimes i think we 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 continue to captain the ship of a boat that we think is success because heaven forbid we deboard it and we get onto another one and we're not guaranteed anything. Um, And that was kind of the big fear of like stepping out of Austin was again, two hometown kids and like marrying a Buckman. Are you kidding me? That's like synonymous with like success in Austin, Texas, you know, and the biggest thing scariest thing in the world was um, going somewhere and establishing a level of anonymity where the freedom to be whoever we wanted, but we didn't have the in, like embedded legacy um, of who we were. Um, and we couldn't live off the laurels um, of who we used to be. So it was kind of this blank slate, um, which again is like freedom on one side, but certainly the other side of that is who are we if we aren't all the things that we've done and accomplished. And if we don't walk into rooms and people already know our names. Mm.
0: Um, By the way, probably a little bit of like, hey, what's family going to think? We're at their club. Where where they oh. live. You know, this isn't going to be easy there either. Uh, I got to tell you, man, you really make me think. I'll ask everybody something that just occurred to me. What areas of your life are you super courageous in right now? And then what areas are you not? Yeah. Because you sometimes I think I'm either courageous or I'm not. But the truth mm-hmm. is, I take lots of courageous. I'm just being, I always am open with with my family my audience here I'm super courageous when it comes to business yeah or work like I'll just get out like you were saying because that's like an area where I've proven success with most of the risks I've taken I'm not yep. so courageous in my intimate relationships of taking risks of being vulnerable of being transparent um, I don't show a lot of courage in those I kind of play that safe I kind of yeah. keep that stuff on the surface and so you should ask yourselves that everybody, where are you courageous? And just because you are courageous in one area of your life doesn't mean you're on the other. And then this other thing I just want to unpack for a minute is this notion of this may not be my dream anymore. To me, yeah. that's huge courage. It's something, frankly, in some areas of my life right now, we will get into where they are because it doesn't matter, but I'm wrestling with that. Some things are starting to really heat up in some areas. And I'm like, as I get closer to it, I'm like, uh Oh, I don't think this is my dream anymore. And now yeah. I'm getting it. And like, Do I have the guts
1: to to get off the train?
0: Yeah. Talk about that for a minute because that, I mean, you were really on the train and still are to some extent. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started the show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business. And now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See eBay Motors. Talk about that maybe. How do you know? How do you know it's not your dream anymore just because maybe you're failing? Yeah. Or is it not your dream anymore because it's really not your dream anymore?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I talk about in the book, at a certain point I was kind of being teed up to run for office. And that was like the pinnacle. That was like everything I'd ever worked for. I had been um, groomed my entire life to go into politics. Like that was always the quote unquote end goal. Um, And all of a sudden, as you said, I think what's even scarier than failure is a dream realized that is no longer your dream. I think that's exponentially more terrifying. And I think it was Brad who was really able, my husband who was really able to identify it in me because I had gotten so distant from that internal voice that was speaking actual truth Mm. and i was silencing her and muting her and like hitting snooze every time she tried to hit the alarm of like bro i think our dream has changed and i was Mm. like you shut your mouth no it has not i'm going to disappoint all these people back to that peanut gallery like who are these people that i think i'm disappointing but i'm going to disappoint everyone and um it was really brad who um pointed out i feel like you've lost like the light in your eyes. Mm. And it was just something as like only like such an intimate partner can witness and can like so lovingly offer that he was like, you know, having done life with you long enough. Now I know when you're genuinely filled with joy about something. And I know when you're going through the motions Mm. and, you know, in the book, I, I, I retell a little bit of this story, but he was like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's intoxicating to watch you like razzle dazzle people, you know, cause we were, we, I and mean, we had so much money verbally committed already before we'd ever announced. And like, we were, I was on that bullet train, um, you know, and for him to say like, but my biggest fear is like, I don't know if you really want this anymore. And it, he, he was giving me an out, Like he was like, we can get off this train if you want to. Um, and even then I was so at that point driven by what i thought like driven by shoulds like what i thought everyone expected of me that it felt so dangerous um and ungrateful i think that's something else especially you know as a woman like being teed up for you know these incredible opportunities it felt selfish to be like ah, i don't know if i want that anymore um and so i think for me it was you know the help of a loving partner to really give me permission to say like hey between you and me, like, if you want to get on this train, like, I'll make sure, you know, I'll I'll yeah. speak to the conductor. I'll make sure we mm. we can get off here. Um, Alexis, so this we-
0: is so good. I just want you to know, this is so freaking good. Right now, what we're talking about, like, this is the real of life. It's not in all these platitudes and personal development that kind of float around, like, this is the real stuff right here, you guys, that can create a rich, blissful, incredible life. and. The thing about the move to Montana and other things, too, imagine you're being teed up to run for office. You are a woman. It is obvious that you would be unbelievable at it. I could see why people would think that. It's just amazing how similar our lives are, by the way. <laughs> and um, and like like literally. And But this idea, I don't know if you remember this. I'll, I'll tee it up in the one you talk about. Question marks in life. So that move, when you're pursuing a dream and you got – Like there's not a lot of question marks when it's in your core. Like I don't, doing a podcast every week or giving a speech, I don't have a lot of question marks, right? Or making a business deal or evaluating a realist. Like I got, there's some question marks, but I kind of control the question marks. Yeah. You know what I mean? But a move like that or a career change or the courage to leave a relationship that no longer works for you or to go back to school or to leave your job and start your own business or whatever it might be. Do you remember what you said about the question marks as problems that needed solving as compared to, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Compared to, what was it, adventures or?
0: Yes, this is so good. I'll read it and then you you talk about it. It's so freaking good. At some point, I started to look at question marks as problems that needed solving instead of unanswered surprises and the twists and turns on the road on the wild journey of our lives. So now I choose to sit in the temporary discomfort. This is so good of my unfulfilled dream, unfilled dreams. Okay. With not knowing the final score of the game, because I know the game is still being played and the story of my life is still being written. That's a, that's one of the best lines of any book ever period, (laughs) because it's exactly what I do questions. Oh, I got to solve this. I got to control this. I got to, maybe, maybe it's okay that I don't know everything. Maybe the Mm -hmm. unknown is where the beauty is
1: certainly the excitement. And mm-hmm. I think as kids, like, you know, when you think so much of our youth is driven by question marks, it's like, I don't know, where am I going to go to college? Or like, yeah. where's my first job going to be? What is my first job going to be? Who's going to be my partner? Like I could like walk around the corner in the coffee shop and like run into him. Am I going to have kids? Am I not? Am I going to have pets? Like there's so many question marks because there's so many unanswered adventures in store for us. And when we're young, I think it's part of like what drives our vitality is right. the unknown in the excitement. And I think as we become adult, and like the dial of the seriousness of our life gets turned up, and certainly as our ego starts accruing more and more bullet points, you know, that is like what we hold on to is who we are, then the unknown, it threatens us. We're like, well, I mean, how how would like, how can I be a serious activist and do stand-up? You know, like that was something for me that I told Brad that I was like, you know, at a certain point, like the seriousness of activism, the seriousness of politics, and I have a really like silly, goofy side of me that I that I feel like only my closest friends could ever see. And I would say, like, yeah, and one of these days, like I want to do stand-up, but I know I could like never do that and maintain whatever this like identity that I felt had calcified, you know, and that I had to protect that at all costs. And I Mm -hmm. think that protection prevents us from having the creativity and the vitality and the energy of newness and reinvention because, because we aren't guaranteed like you said, success. And we lean into the sunshine of success. So like our entire tree starts like drifting toward the sunshine where we're like, we know we're safe here because we're really good at real estate or we like crush business. Um, And I think we miss out on all the other opportunities um, to be challenged and to step outside of our comfort zones. But that's where the magic is.
0: Mm. Your dad's amazing. Um, I'm Listening and watching you, I'm thinking, this is really a remarkable woman. And then I reflect on the story in the book about your dad. And I want you to share this. So at some point on this journey, I thought it was on the journey, but I think earlier you said you found out before you went. I thought yep. you found out on the trip about your dad. Am I wrong? About I found
1: those? out before, but I was kind of doing flashbacks Okay, on the journey.
0: So why don't you tell them? And then this, the, your dad's in the hospital. I want you to tell them the story because your dad's answer to the letter to yeah. me, it's like, like, that's just a man who quality lived greatly. Like, yeah. li- I'm sure he was a flawed, you know, he was a flawed person like my dad. But yeah. but like, there's a greatness and, a, and a, an extraordinariness to how he just lived his life and cared for you.
1: Yeah. And
0: so if you would just share the whole thing about your dad, I want everyone yeah. to hear this right here. This is amazing.
1: Um, I had just keynoted at West Point. And so I was on the hour and a half journey back and I got a phone call. My agents called and said, I was supposed to do the TV show. I was doing a speaking tour with Glenn and Doyle, Abby Wambach, and we were doing very normal press for the speaking tour. So I was supposed to go on the TV show and we were going to talk about the tour. Um, and uh, the woman from Ancestry, Jennifer, um, says, I'm sorry, but the information you provided for your biological father's incorrect. So that was the moment of the like, wait, come again. (laughs) What did you just say? Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, you may want to have a conversation with your mom. Um, I won't get into all the details, um, but basically end up finding out that my dad is not my biological father. And there's this real moment of, oh my God, do I tell my dad? My mom had specifically said, please don't tell your dad. Please don't tell your brothers. Um, which looking back, she fully admits like was an unfair request. But at the time I was trying to honor that request, even though they got gotten divorced when I was really young, but we did all of our family events together. So all she's thinking is like, he's never going to forgive me. And now all of our family events, they're going to have to be divided. Like it's going to, it's going to create this fissure in our family. Um, and so I tried to keep this secret, but every time I was with my dad, who like coached everything I ever played, who was like my real life Superman, there was just this like invisible wall. Yeah. Every time I was with him, I was like, welling up with tears. And he'd be like, what is going on lately? And I'd be like, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and really, it was this haunting fear that if he finds out that I'm not his biological daughter, will he look at me differently? Mm-hmm. And will he love me? Like, will he just kind of say like, I don't, this is too hard. This is awkward. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I finally write this letter with my mom's blessing I write this letter and i thought i was going to be brave enough to read it to him i'm not i like thrust it into his lap and i run out um he ends up you know watching a football game so he doesn't call me for like hours um finally calls me and says i read the letter and in the letter i told him who my biological father was and i said i believe that our love is bigger than the data point of my conception And in the letter, I said, you know, all these things that he had taught me, the tenets of love and the tenets of grace. And um, I said, I think that we get past this and this makes us stronger. Um, And then I he he called me and he said, why don't you come over first thing in the morning? Let's talk about this. Uh, and I, and I, I get emotional every time I tell the story, cause I really haven't talked about it publicly. Like I wrote about it in the book, but I really haven't like put words to it in real time. And it's still like a very emotional experience for me. And so I show up the next morning and I walk in and in the letter, I told him who my biological father was. So as I walk, in, I'm thinking, they were like, maybe a little, you know, small talk, like let's talk about the weather. Like, how are the cowboys doing daddy? And, um, as soon as I come walking in, he says, Silvano Sanchez, huh? That was my biological father, as I would come to find out, and um, I said, "Yeah, Daddy, um, Silvano Sanchez," and he said, "Well, first off, first thing I remember about that guy is he was uncomfortably attracted," and I was like, "What?" Okay. <laughs> and I started laughing, and he says, "The other thing I remember is that he was a really good guy," mm-hmm. and we don't need to pretend that your mom and I had some fairy tale romance. We didn't. We've been really honest about that with y'all. He said, "But the the truth is." I've actually always known, and there, that was a huge curveball to me because in this moment I've been thinking I was about to break my daddy's heart, that like and shatter it into a thousand pieces, and here he was like lobbying me this like enormous curveball, and I look at him and I said, "What are you What are you talking about?" And he said, "Come on, I'm an engineer. I did the math. You know, your mom and I, I mean, we were still living together, but we were separated, and." All of a sudden, she was pregnant, and um, I wasn't 100% sure, but I was pretty sure. And I was in the hospital when you were born, and I asked your mom, is she mine when you were born? And your mom kind of gave me a bit of an aloof response, and then the doctors handed you to me, and I looked in your eyes, and I chose you, and that's it. He was like, that's all you need to know. And he was like, because parenthood isn't about, it isn't about biology. Parenthood is about showing up with a relentless conviction to love someone like rain or shine, whether you feel like it, whether you don't. And I made that commitment that day to love you, rain or shine. And, um, I will continue loving you. So, you know, the idea that, um, I don't know that that parenthood is rooted in anything other than that relentless love. And what's interesting. And of course the serendipity of the entire thing is years later when we would have infertility issues as as I chatted about earlier uh, for years, but eventually we would actually have to hire an egg donor. So I am not the biological mother of my now son. And I remember once we got to that step in the process Um, you know, and people around me were like, Oh my God, that must be so hard. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that feel like for you? And I remember like, not that it wasn't a lighthearted decision, Mm -hmm. but I remember looking at my husband and being like, it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. dude. It doesn't matter. Like
0: Mm -hmm. the
1: only thing that matters, like my definition of motherhood and like my conviction to love my son has nothing to do with whether or not he has my dimples, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, I was so confident that I was capable of loving any child at that. I mean, at that point I was like, I will take any child off this to like, someone just yeah. hand me a baby yeah. because we, we wanted to be parents so badly, but to be a recipient of that kind of love, yeah. that kind of voluntary choice um, was and continues to be the greatest treasure in my life. And I think is, is probably from where I always say I'm a billionaire in love. Mm. Um, And it's because I've been a recipient of that kind of love.
0: Mm. Uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This man essentially knew this all these years, but probably, you know, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but he sort of lived with one of those question marks all of his life and he was okay with it. So ironically, your work relates to that. The fact that he was his dedicated dad and did all the coaching and was involved in everything. Tells you he knew I chose you. That just made me cry. Hey, guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match, where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours, and you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Just go to Indeed.com slash which is M-Y-L-E-T-T, right now, and you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way indeed.com slash my terms and conditions apply you need to hire you need indeed and then god's so amazing to choose you to be the mother of a child who's not biologically yours because you had had this journey it's like god's awesome he's
1: a god is awesome
0: it's just awesome he's like i mean
1: if there's one through like like if that is not like the thesis of this entire talk is like god is awesome and like (laughs) you know just the idea that i mean the biggest extrapolation i think of the entire journey was that there is purpose to our pain and that time is the only revealer and so i look back at all of this heartbreak i look back at this apocalypse that happened (laughs) what felt like to my life into my career into my identity into my ego and you know, at the end of the book, I talk about the fact that like, I think our lives are meant to fall apart, like over and over and over, because that is the, that is the invitation to continue to rebuild something more true and more true and more true of who we really are. Wow. And, you know, when I think about how awesome God is and and how he wove himself, all of these divine inflection points and linchpins throughout my life that for every single heartbreak I've ever endured, that there was a reason for it, that there was a divine purpose for it. And even like the ending of relationships that felt too soon, you know, that on the other side of it, it was like, because I couldn't imagine, you know, that someone like Bradley Buckman was waiting for me. Like Mm -hmm. that that was the guy I was going to end up with. And Mm -hmm. same thing with my career that, you know, there were parts of it that had to be burned away. Like the wildfires had to come in and they had to, you know, burn away the parts that I was too afraid to let go of myself Mm. and that pruning that God did in my life so generously. And at the time felt so painful, Mm. but looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God, literally Mm. that you, that you shut the doors and you took away people and experiences and um, even places from us because you knew that there was something else that you had something better in store for that. I couldn't even conceive.
0: I'm thinking of uh, how you ended up here today. So, um, by the way, I personally am so grateful for our conversation. Like, I really am. Mm. This is absolutely the right conversation for me at this time in my life. Seriously. And to know that I probably get, I'm going to guess that I get two to 5,000 guest requests for 50 spots a year. We do. At least. Probably more. That's why I gave that range. And all these books. And I remember the email coming in about you, and I'm like, "Joy Hunter," I grabbed it. I'm like, "All right, I'll consider that one." And then somehow my discernment was like, "Nope, I'm gonna do this." Then I read the book, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh," i I was gonna kind of skim read because I'm behind. I'm like, "Nope, I'm reading every word." And then so so I read everything they gave me rather. And then um, before we start to know that I've known your family for you know I don't know fifteen years. And then that this is the conversation is like, that's just a God thing. That's for sure a God Mm -hmm. thing. And you, is there something else on this journey that just jumped out at you? Like you said something in the book, I'll just give you things that stood out to me about you kind of spent your life like bracing for the next thing or this. and That word bracing, even for me, like I kind of live that way too often where like, I'm kind of going for the next thing, but I'm also like bracing for the next thing that's going to be bad. And if I just brace long enough, I'll be more prepared for it when it comes. Like, if I can just totally, if I can think about enough bad crap that could possibly happen, then when it happens, I'll be somehow slightly more prepared because I'm over here bracing for it. And it just debilitates your energy and robs the people around you. So, What else in this journey stood out to you? Is it something like that? And what was it, would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I had spent so much of my life, and I don't know if this resonates for you, but growing up with not a ton of stability as a Mm -hmm. child, I think that we do become like professional control freaks. Yes. I mean, like we become so good at bracing. And like, even while you're doing that, I'm like, I, I was feeling what you were like. I'm flexing, right? Like, constantly flexing all the time, anticipating whatever blows are gonna come or disappointment or whatever, whatever instability is gonna, you know, kind of pop up. And um, what I realized, and you just, you again nailed it, was like the amount of energy required mm-hmm. in rehearsing tragedy. And I think I was someone who was constantly rehearsing every single thing that could go wrong. And actually, and again, like there is an upside to that. It makes us really good at business because we anticipate every single thing that can go wrong and we Mm -hmm. have a game plan for it. But I think that sometimes we try to unintentionally utilize the strategies that work for us professionally. And we try to apply those to our personal lives. And oftentimes it's, it's quite literally the antithesis. Mm -hmm. And so the things that made me successful professionally weren't always applicable to me personally. And so the the bracing and anticipating, like there's a place in an arena for it where it is effective and necessary. Mm. Um, but what I realized was every time I was doing that in my personal life, mm. it was not only exhausting, mm. but I really think that it siphoned off creativity. And when I say creativity, I mean like the flow, like the co-creation that we're doing with the seen and the unseen world, like the co-creation with God, saying mm. like, how can I flow? how can I use a different modality of faith, believing in things that we can't yet see of trust and surrender, like all these things that I was like, yeah, 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 I have those posters too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I have those memes on my Instagram too. Um, But I just didn't know how to like gracefully dance in the unseen world. And I think that that was the piece that stood out the most was what does it look like to anticipate and rehearse everything going really well. What does that look like? What does that feel like to be in like that frequency of surrender and trust? Mm. Um, Because again, I think as a child growing up in kind of an unstable house, you don't have a lot of trust. You think, you know, for me, I felt like everything was solely on me. Mm. um, And especially as an entrepreneur, like as a business um, person, you know, you're like wearing 15 different hats. And I think the idea that you can like trust that there's like an infinite army out there that's like rooting for you. And that everything you're chasing is like chasing you just as hard back. And that God has such a divine plan that is unfolding in real time. So guess what? We get to relax. Like, what does that feel like Mm -hmm. in your body to sit back and be like, oh, I can trust that like everything in divine timing is already on its way. And that everything happening to me is actually happening for me. And that even in the heartbreak and the unknown, that there's like beauty on the other side of this, like that is a different, that is a different ecosystem to choose to live in. And I do believe it is a choice. And I think that that was the kind of grand um, gift and treasure throughout that journey was what does it look like to live from that place? Trust, surrender, faith.
0: This entire conversation has been a gift. Seriously, um, I'm really grateful we did it. Can I encourage you to stay on this road? I don't mean the road of change. I think you, I think you, you're changing. I mean this type of work. Um, mm. You don't need my recommendation, but I think there's another book in you mm. uh, as you even go deeper into this work. It's very needed. Um, you are perfectly qualified to do this work. Um, you're so articulate and so smart. And what you're saying is so true. I know it because I've lived it and trust me, everybody, um, today's conversation is one of those. I would play again and I would mm-hmm. definitely share it with people. This is really something to share. Um, sometimes you tell people, Hey, share the show. Cause it's good for the show. You should share the show. Cause this would be good for people This would be really good for people. Alexis, I I really like you and I'm really impressed and I really enjoyed today tremendously. Thank
1: you so much. And I want to like mirror back that gratitude because like you said, I realize how many people, you know, you have such an incredible platform Um, and it is a gift to offer anyone like myself the opportunity to have a conversation and to invite me into your space um I just want to thank you and like, you. like I said at the beginning, what a joy that um that we have this like family connection. Know. But know. yeah, I'm so grateful. So thank you well, so now, much. Yeah,
0: now you and I have that connection. And by the way, trust me, it's honored. It's an honor to have you on. I wish, by the way, I wish I could do four thousand shows a year and everybody on it would be great. I just I can't. And so I'm so grateful today happened. Everybody, please go get Joy Hunter. It's by Alexis Jones. You can follow her on Instagram at Alexis Jones. And uh, I have a feeling this is the first of a couple of these books like this. I just have this feeling. It's so good. Alexis, thank you for today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. God bless everybody. Max out your life. This is The Ed Milad Show.